Hello and welcome to a very special edition of Planning People, the New Model Advisor podcast, which this week, I'm delighted to say, comes from the Conservative Party Conference in Birmingham. I'm Ollie Smith, online producer here at NMA, and I'm delighted to say I'm joined by Ian Anderson, who is Chief Executive of Cicero Group. Uh, Ian, hello and thanks for being with us. Great to be with you. Um, So what are the major revelations of the conference so far, in your opinion? Well, this was always going to be coming into this conference, whether or not his speech was better than her speech. Now, that is basically whether or not Boris Johnson's blatant challenge to become leader of the Conservative Party is going to be a better vision for the future than the Chequers plan on Brexit that the Prime Minister has um, la- laid out. Now, we've still, while well, we're talking, we've still to hear what the Prime Minister has to say. I hope she's resting her voice after uh, uh, last year's <laughs> need for cough sweets. I've got cough sweets with me already, Ollie, but um, that's going to be essentially the test um, of this conference. And uh, well, we'll maybe talk about who's winning that battle of ideas. Um, So far, we've heard quite a lot of noise from the Reese Moggs uh, and today Boris Johnson. Um, They seem completely uh, unrestricted in their confidence surrounding chucking checkers. Um, Are they completely mad or do they have a point? Well, I wish they had a plan. They're completely (laughs) unrestricted because they've got no plan. I listened to Boris Johnson's speech today and it said absolutely nothing at all. It was empty, wasn't Rather it? Rather beautifully. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as an act of rhetoric, um, as a guy who runs Cicero, as an act of rhetoric, it was a good piece of rhetoric, but it had absolutely zero substance. And that's really what I expect the Prime Minister to try and do in her speech later in this conference, which is to project the fact that she has a detailed plan, like it or loathe it, but that Boris and that Reese Mogg and others are not coming up with any detailed perspectives. I mean, it was quite interesting to me that Boris didn't lean on the ERG plan with a kind of Canada plus, plus, uh, plus uh, deal um, that had been laid out before we went into the Conservative conference. He didn't do any of that at all. He just said chop checkers. Um, and I think he's left himself open to a really big accusation, which is, so what's your plan? What's your alternative? Do you think that he deliberately didn't mention the ERG because he didn't want to uh, give any sort of uh, name-dropping do, do any name dropping for potential leadership competitors from that side of the party? I think he didn't mention the ERG plan because I think that's one of the essential problems with this entire process. Mm. You talk to um, a hard Brexiteer versus a slightly less hard Brexiteer and you get a different series of plans. You talk to actually an arch Remainer uh, versus someone that you know say just wants to get on with Brexit but back the Chequers plan, and you get a myriad of opinions. Now, to be fair to the Tories, we had a myriad of opinions at the Labour conference. I spent a couple of days with uh, the comrades in Liverpool last week, and we got a myriad of views as to how to go about Brexit from a Labour point of view. And that's the problem with all of this. Of course, it doesn't help anybody running a business right now to chart a uh, track for their business other than 
if you need to satisfy a regulator, if you need to keep your customers happy, you probably need to be preparing for a hard outcome. Mm. And that's what businesses are doing, isn't it? Um, you mentioned the Labour conference. Just very crudely, whose conference has gone better this year? Well, I, I think Labour um, had as, almost as many challenges as the Conservatives going into the, their conference, uh, the anti-Semitism row, mm. the positioning um, on, on Brexit. Look, there's no doubt that I think Corbyn gave his best speech, his most fluid articulation of his belief, a sort of deep, deep exposition of um, a, a compelling narrative. I happen to believe the narrative's absolutely barking mad, but um, <laughs> uh, he probably gave the most compelling narrative since he's become um, Labour leader. Now, again, that's not saying much mm. because, you know, the fluidity, the sense of what he actually believes in has taken a while to come through. Mm. Probably the most effective thing they did was their uh, party broadcast. Uh, you can have a look at that on Twitter. Yeah. And, it, you know, in terms of Middle Britain's concerns, they talked to a lot of Middle Brit Britain's concerns about housing, <laughs> about infrastructure, about low pay, um, the squeezed middle that the Prime Minister was trying to address. So I think Labour actually you know, did much, much better in their conference than I was expecting them to. Here in Birmingham, the Conservative conference, I actually think um, the knockabout between Theresa May and Boris Johnson has largely been priced in. You know, the expectation that, as I yeah. said at the outset, it's going to be his speech versus yeah. her speech. A lot of that was ha has been uh, priced in. But that said, let's see how the Prime Minister performs later in the week. Sure. Um, of course, at the beginning, well, even before the conference started, we had this huge uh, mess up with the conference app. Um, now, that's an embarrassment that uh, no one really saw coming. Um, what do you expect to happen next? Is that just going to be a sort of anticlimactic uh, warning from the Information Commissioner's Office on GDPR breach, or is it just going to, is it going to stick around for a long time? I, 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 w I would be amazed if this turns into a longer and larger story. Um, yeah, you know, t to be honest, I think in the great scheme of things uh, on it, in the great scheme of trying to solve the Brexit problem, um, it's a little uh, local difficulty. It's embarrassing. It's certainly <laughs> embarrassing. Uh, in fact, I, I did think twice about whether or not to, to um, offload yeah, your shares uh, the, in Brandon the, Lewis. Well, or, or offload my conference app, which is still on okay. my phone, um, which is still updating away in the background. So um, it's probably listening to us right now. Um, but um, no, I mean, you know, it, 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 it was an embarrassing headline. But for most people watching this conference, for most business people trying to work out how to run their business, it's irrelevant. Mm. So it's tomorrow your Theresa May or your Theresa May's advisor and she's desperately trying to sell checkers to a party that is, you know, the grassroots of which is so pro-Boris and so sort of patriotic about this issue. You know, what are you going to advise her to do, Ian? You know, what, what has she got to do to perform other than not coming out with a cough and get, getting given a P45 in the middle of the well, speech. Well, no, I hope she's got the cough sweets. I think she's already kind of alluded to that. What she has absolutely got to do is use this opportunity, and party leaders only get it once a year. So it's the big reason that we still have the party conference season, albeit also it's a very good way of the, all the parties raising an awful lot of money for their campaigns uh, for the coming 12 months. 
But this is, this is her looking down a lens, talking to the people of Britain. That's the big reason why we still do all this, um, running around to um, the party conferences. And it's kind of three or four days of guaranteed media coverage. And it's probably going to lead, as Jeremy Corbyn did last week, it's probably going to lead the um, evening news for most people when they get home um, after work. So she's, this is her first opportunity to sell checkers. It's an opportunity to say why it um, allows Brexit to take place. It's an opportunity to say why it respects, in her view, in her mind, how people voted. Um, so, so as I say, to look down the barrel of that camera and talk to the people of Britain, because she's not really had that opportunity uh, since the deal was stitched together back in July. I think um, one of the things that reminds me of uh, Gordon Brown with Theresa May is this sort of slight struggle that she has with sincerity and it's not, some, not a problem that she has alone. You know, I think there's plenty of other Tories in the party that kind of do struggle to come across as genuine in themselves and um, you know I'd often sort of hear her speech speak and think you know God you know bless her God she's trying but it's not quite landing she's not quite coming across as human and as someone who really gets the kind of desires of, of voters um, are there going to have to be a few things in the speech tomorrow to specifically address that just to put people at ease you can't you can't be someone you're not if only someone had said that to Gordon Brown you can't see <laughs> no, but they're all parallels and the big parallel between Gordon Brown and Theresa is that actually, and this is a very strange thing to say about someone in public life or someone who becomes Prime Minister, is that everybody I know who's been around Gordon Brown and everybody who I know who works around Theresa May tells me that they are intimately shy people. Now, again, you know, for listeners that probably sounds a really odd thing to say. You're, you know, you're on the world stage, you're on the party conference stage. But I think what brought her into politics, I mean, think about the backgrounds. They, you know, he's the son of the manse, she's the daughter of Rebecca. Um, the backgrounds and the calling to public life are really, really, really similar. And that's worked at a local setting. They both demonstrated that they're, they're grafters, they work really, really hard on the detail. Their problem is, absolutely inherently, kind of doing the emotion thing. They don't like to um, display their heart on their sleeve. She's never going to be able to do that. Gordon Brown was never able to do that. But that doesn't make her a bad Prime Minister, um, but in a televisual age where you know, you're supposed to do emotion all the time, it's very, very difficult. So I wouldn't be, you know, if you're asking me, should she change her personality for tomorrow? Should she try and adopt techniques and um, an approach that is not suited to her? I, I would say no. Mm. Um, I feel very much as though yesterday we had sort of 24 hours where you know, the Prime Minister took a bit of a step back and you know, other key secretaries of state 
took the stage to deliver their speeches. I think, similarly to Boris Johnson's speech, there was a, a lack of meat on the bone, so to speak, um, particularly in the speeches that were relevant to uh, our readers. You know, the work and pensions speech, it felt a little bit sort of policy light. Um, Hammond's speech was very wide-ranging and warm, but it was, but it was also, it was more theoretical, shall we say, than sort of policy-heavy in some places. Um, I kind of felt as though there were there were people on manoeuvres there that were trying to show their why their broad appeal to, to voters and the party um, as a priority uh, fully in the knowledge that obviously all good things come to an end and Theresa May will eventually have to step back. There are two conferences going on here and you can only really see the second conference if you're here. Mm. If you're watching this conference, if you're reading about this conference uh, from afar, you're only really getting the Boris versus Theresa thing. When you're here and you're going around the fringe uh, meetings, you can see that there's actually a big debate going on about what are the future ideas that are going to power the Conservative Party. Now, you know, um, the Labour Party had something very, very similar uh, um, last week. In fact, Momentum had this alternative festival going on at Labour. There's a bit of an alternative festival going on um, on the Conservative fringe. So, you know, people like George Freeman and his um, 2020 Conservatives agenda, really, really quite interesting. and I think what that's all pointing to, Arnie, is the opportunity to get into what I would broadly call, and what I'm telling the people I work with and the businesses I work with right now, is an agenda around what kind of country do we want to be after we've left. Yeah? And I think we can only really get on with that conversation from April next year, because that conversation is inextricably linked with the, de- the detail of the kind of deal that we want to do with Europe. Because remember, all this sort of Chuck Checkers stuff, um, it's, it's in a way a bit of a mirage for where we are right now. Where we are right now is we're only agreeing the terms of divorce and maybe, maybe just a little bit about um, what the future, the, the, the contours, shall we say, of what the future yeah. relationship needs to look like. We're not actually going to start debating that in earnest until um, one minute past 11 on the 29th of March uh, next year. So all of this is a little bit illusory, but what I do see is the opportunity for that debate to break out. I would take just issue with one thing you said when you were talking about Hammond. I mean, only in a couple of sentences, Hammond has pretty much indicated that the UK is going to go first uh, on a digital services tax. No, that is true. And that's that is true. For, for the financial services industry, with the appability mm. increasingly of the financial services industry, for the fintech sector, that is huge. This, could be, this could be huge. Mm. Um, just with regards to what you were saying about uh, uh, next year and us not really knowing the sort of full outline maybe having a few contours, as you said, of the future. Uh, does that make any potential manoeuvring now sort of pretty premature? So I imagine there would be some people in, you know, in MPs and ministers and middle ranks and maybe even the higher ranks who are thinking, oh, this is a brilliant opportunity. This is a brilliant opportunity. And maybe some of them are a bit vain where they think, excellent, I can go to conference, I can get on TV, I can show, you know, I can show Dominic Raab to the world, or I could show Matt Hancock to the world. I don't think he's manoeuvring too much, but Jeremy, Jeremy Hunt, I mean, Jeremy Hunt's speech was very, very sort of 
pandery, I felt like, to maybe the right of the party, comparing the EU to the Soviet Union, that felt like a very, very obvious um, you know, nudge to say to people uh, on the floor of the conference, you know, look, I hear you, I, I hear that you don't like this concept of Britain being governed by outsiders, but, but is, that, is, is all of that premature at this stage? Do we just not know enough? This conference, I was telling people before I came into it, this would look like a bit of a beauty parade. It has looked like a bit of a beauty parade with its apotheosis in kind of what Boris has been up to himself. No, and they've all been out there. Anybody that wants to play a big part in the future of the Conservative Party, whether or not Theresa May is going to carry on leading it um, or not, They've all been out there, sort of setting out their stall. I mean, Sajid Javid um, uh, was kind of, um, you know, laying out his own kind of personal credo in significant terms today too. So I, I actually think there's been a myriad of members of the cabinet, um, and I've actually spoken to one or two people who are not currently in the cabinet who have been on the fringe um, um, cycle um, over the past two or three days looking to set out their stall. So no, it's pretty much been everywhere. But you know what? That's a fairly typical party conference. Sure. There's always somebody that wants to catch the eye uh, of either the, 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 the members who are here uh, or the media. Let's just chat financial services for a second because obviously you mentioned the digital uh, companies tax. Um, I was quite refreshed by sitting in front of Guy Opperman MP yesterday because I felt as though he'd um, perhaps displayed a little bit of reluctance in dealing with the media before about really fleshing out some of the detail on the pensions dashboard and I don't, I don't think he added even that much more but he came across as very passionate and he came across as incredibly pro-technology. Um, you know, he kept talking about his phone, he kept talking about you know, how his kids are on apps and how, he, you know, how his world has been transformed by technology. Um, what do you make of all this stuff in the news recently about the pension dashboard and how it's going over to the private sector to be, to be developed by the, the pensions industry? Does that bode well? Is that going uh, to be successful? So, Opperman himself, uh, I think, you know, has given a really, really, really big push to um, Ward's pensions dashboard. Mm. Um, which I, he deserves credit. Which he deserves huge credit for. And I think you're absolutely right to point to. He is one of the younger generation of ministers, fresh minister, that's quite excited about the brief, that, as you say, has all this stuff loaded up on, on his phone, and his kids do it too. So... You know, um, often there's a real big disconnect. You know, we saw one of those U.S. senators interviewing Facebook <laughs> earlier this year. They had absolutely, yeah, literally, no, had no, no idea what they were talking about. So it's really refreshing to have somebody like Guy in that role. What Guy has come up against, in my view, is uh, you know quite a strong philosophical pushback to the idea of government delivering frameworks, government delivering IT, government delivering mm. um, uh, th th these things. But, the, again, I think the really good news, and it's great you, you know, you've been able to spend some time with him, is that I think he remains so committed to the idea that he's going to continue to push forward, albeit much more in a private sector, in a private sector setting. Now, many of us have been around this debate. If it is going to be a private sector only solution, then I think the government needs to provide 
some incentives to actually make that work, to drive it faster, to make sure that we don't get you know, a kind of delay to a really good idea to actually make sense of auto-enrolment and the choices that are available for people kind of coming into the pension system. So good on him for keeping the momentum up, but you know, the, the government's got to make sure that delivered in a, in a private sector only way that that momentum is maintained. And just finally, um, crystal ball predictions never work well, do they? But you know, in a year's time, we could be in a very different place, couldn't we? There could be huge change. Um, we could have a new prime minister. We could uh, have you know the beginnings of, of some Brexit uh, future, you know, laid out. Um, what do you hope that we will have uh, in uh, October 2019? I hope we have a Brexit deal. Mm -hmm. I hope we don't have a constitutional crisis. I hope we really are, as a country, whoever is in charge at that point. And I genuinely believe it's impossible to crystal ball gaze 12 months out in our politics right now because of all the speed bumps that are in between. But whoever is leading the country, whoever is Prime Minister, that we have got a sense of both the country that we want to be and, and a much, much closer, better dialogue between government and business. Mm. And will Boris still be doing the rounds? Boris never goes away, unfortunately. I think that's a perfect note on which to end. Ian, thank you so much for joining us. Um, don't forget to go to our back catalogue on the New Model Advisor website where you can check out episodes uh, from planning people about everything from politics to tax uh, to platforms uh, to the FCA and consultations and beyond. Um, please do tweet us with your thoughts. We're on at New Model Advisor and I'm personally on an at 93 underscore smithereens. Um, very excited to be relaunching our podcast episodes in the few uh, in the coming uh, weeks and months. So do keep an eye out for more excellent content. So until next time, I've been Ollie Smith and this has been Ian Anderson. Thanks Ian and goodbye.